And uh, some of you, uh, like my wife, keep arguing with that rather than just following the instructions. And the instructions are to uh, choose out of those three that description which is most like you and that one which is least like you. You say, well, they're all like me. Which is most like you? Which is least like you? And that helps to make it discriminatory. It uh, makes those careful distinctions that we're seeking to make. Uh, the man who actually was the key in putting that together for us, there was a group of people that worked for about ten years on various issues of spiritual gifting. and He had his doctorate uh, from down here in San Diego on uh, individual differences. And before we ever uh, put that out, we not only ran it through um, biblical criterion, but we ran it through text, tests, and measurement procedures. And uh, uh, so it is. It has a good bit of, uh, of work, uh, a number of scours. And uh, uh, so, those of you that are taking it. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, uh, by the end of this we can actually share some uh, thoughts about what to do with it when you get back the long printout. For those of you that already have it, uh, the, the first chart is simply data. And uh, that will not be something you will want to spend a lot of time with it will not you will just see where there are pluses and minuses and zeros and so forth and uh, but where it really becomes important to you is where you come to the uh, uh, spiritual gift chart and uh, which is most like you which is least like you and then uh, also the uh, the personality temperament Kind of thing that is something beyond your spiritual gifting, but I, we've done that because we think it's uh, kind of interesting to see what kind of personalities and temperaments go together with these kinds of gifts, and so maybe that will be helpful. But I want to start first of all with this uh, fourfold uh, presentation that I have on the screen that I want to talk briefly about. Number one, your preparation which is what we have been doing basically in these several days. And then secondly, your position with that preparation. We started with the uh, God of the gifts and moved to the gifts of God. And so uh, that was part of our preparation starting there. And then our position is looking at ourselves in the light of that preparation and then practicing uh, what we're coming to see and then finally uh, realizing that I am participating with a large group of people uh, called the family of God. So let's start with number one, your preparation. Uh, this is basically the information gaining stage that we had started with. And so we sought to gain information in two areas, Sunday morning 
taking a metaphor of the Word of God and trying to flesh it out uh, concerning the God of the gifts. What is God like? And so we sought to portray in as graphic a way as we could that uh, there is one singular sovereign source of direction in the body, and that is the head. And that which is true in the human body, God says, is true in the body of Christ, the church. So we, we started there, gaining information about that. And obviously we just scratched the surface. That's an area that ought to continue to grow and to grow and to grow. Because the more I know about what God is like, the more I will become like what I know. I become like what I look at. And when I discipline myself to continue to look at what God is like, I will find myself becoming like what I look at. If I look, look preeminently at myself, uh, that is not an uplift. I, it is an uplift to look at what God is like. And uh, there are a number of verses that David was a, a master of doing this. Even when he was mad, he would first look at God. And, uh, and then, you know, he's talking about these blasted enemies of mine. Then he gets back to what God is like. And then he gets back to the blasted enemies again. And uh, uh, it just keeps correcting his view. And uh, Psalm 37.4, let's just look at a couple of these uh, verses here to get a little of the feel of that. In Psalm 37, turn to that one with me. Beautiful psalm. <clears throat> Let me pick it up at verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. And uh, that's a promise from the kind of God that we have. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. God is not in the business of giving us the kind of things we hate. Uh, he is in the business of giving us the desires of our heart. That's what he wants to do. Uh, I remember when I was about to graduate from college, I, somebody had I don't know where I picked this up, but they said, don't ever say you, you don't want to go so-and-so because uh, such and such a place, because that's where God will, will send you. Have, you. have you ever heard that kind of thinking? You, you know, wonder what evil uh, mind does that start with? Is that really what God is like? That he's really a killjoy? He's trying to uh, make me miserable? I don't think so. I think that's a false presentation, but I, I'd heard that and it kind of stuck there and so I wanted to be sure I didn't say I didn't want to do such and such. And, and there was one thing I, I, I didn't want to do. I didn't want to be called to Mississippi. I don't know. I, I, I preached in all kinds of southeastern states. When you go to Bob Jones, that's, you preach all over, you know, on the weekends. And, and uh, uh, I really didn't want to go to Mississippi. And believe it or not, the first call I got was from Mississippi. Well, that confirmed that, didn't it? 
That's what God does. That's the way he operates. You say, if you don't want to go there, that's what he's going to do. Uh, ah, that's a bunch of baloney. Uh, why? Well, I have it right here. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires for your heart. Actually, there was one of our graduates that was working as an intern at Mount Hermon up the way, and uh, there was a gal that he uh, met there who was also working as, as a staff member. He just really, when he first saw her, it just, boy, it really clicked. And the longer he uh, uh, saw her at the conference and so forth, the more he really wanted to... Uh, get to know her better and uh, was attracted to her and uh, but then he 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 thought that well uh, I, I I like her too much uh, I, I think that's not somebody God has for, for me I, I like her too much and the guy uh, turned away from her because he felt she was uh, uh, too attractive to him hello where do we find that uh, my uh, well I, I'm not going to waste time with more illustrations of it but, but we, we get into somebody gets a little slogan going and we pick up on that slogan and we make all kinds of foolish decisions because of that slogan it didn't grow out of what God said in his word or take another one Psalm 84 11 is another one that I think is uh, needed in our thinking. Psalm eighty four eleven. I got. I need to pick it up with the beginning of the paragraph, verse eight. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield. And look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. As he thinks of the temple, the place of the manifestation of God. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the temple. It comes to verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. He uh, provides warmth and he protects me from over getting overdone, so to speak. The, the Lord will give grace and glory. That's what he loves to do. He will give grace and glory. And then he concludes, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Uh, Sometimes you get a picture that, that God is, is big and he's great. And he's got big hands and they're full of all kinds of goodies. And he's got them tightly clenched and hidden behind his back. And if I can somehow sneak behind his back and pry open one of his fingers, that some of his goodies might fall out to me. No, that's not him. God's hands want to be open to me. He is anxious to give. He is anxious to bless. Uh, the condition is obedience. And uh, that's why at the end of that modeling by Christ of servanthood, he concludes with 
uh, the statement in John 13, 17 uh, with regard to our certainthood. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you know them, blessed are you if you do them. Not blessed are you if you know them. Blessed are you if you do them. That's blessing. And uh, uh, he is anxious to bless. I don't have to ask him to bless me. What I need to do is do what he said to do. Uh, I don't know how many years I read the Upper Room Discourse before it finally dawned on me that John 14:21 and following is, is uh, such a special demonstration of the love of God. It, it dawned on me that there are levels of love of God that I can experience dependent upon my level of obedience. So he says that if you love me, keep my commandments. Uh, and my Father will love you. And I will love you. And we will manifest ourselves to you. And I remember when it dawned on me one day, I thought, well, wait a minute. That doesn't, that doesn't fit with other scriptures. John 3.16 says that God loved the world. Uh, Romans 5.8 uh, But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I, I looked at that and I thought, you know, this verse is teaching me that there are levels of the love of God. God's attribute of love does not change. He is immutable. But my ability to experience his love is conditioned by my obedience. Just before we started to sing, Pastor Arch said, uh, uh, shall we sing trust and obey? And we went back to the other one, but you think of the beautiful words of that song, trust and obey. For there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. The two things of it. Uh, trusting or believing gives me eternal life. Obeying in my stewardship of that life gives me the experience of his love. And I'd have to say that uh, for Ruth and me, and uh, wow, it's been a lot of years getting here. You, you know, you wish sometimes you could start all over again because I've, I've, uh, I, I should have made better progress. But I, I, I come to uh, 52 years of, uh, of marriage and I'm finding that we're understanding not only each other much, much better, but we're understanding God much better. And we're, we're experiencing, we, we're experiencing the manifestation of his love. And, and when Judas, not Judas, not Iscariot, but the other Judas got got hold of what Jesus was saying. He said, wait a minute. Uh, how, how, will you, uh, how will you manifest yourself to us and not to everyone? You see, what was his problem? He, he was on the wrong page. Uh, his page of instructions read, 
destroy the Romans. That's what our problem is. It's the Romans. Wipe them out. The Jews didn't get over that even after 70 A.D. And the Maccabees still thought that was the call of God. Wipe them out. Jesus, I didn't come to kill. I came to give life. And uh, so when Judas asked him that a second time, he says the same thing all over again. Uh, uh, If you love me, keep my commandments, and my Father will love you, and we will make our home with you. That's a neat thing to think about. Uh, Would you like to have God live with you in your home? That's what he says. You will experience a greater degree of the love of God. I will experience a greater degree of the love of God when we obey. Uh, He will manifest himself. And and Ruth and I find ourselves now getting to the place where we uh, something will happen and it clicks with us and we look at one another and it, 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 it might come out of her lips or it might come out of my, my lips but it's the same thing have you, have you seen that happening in your life and, and you say oh, wow that was a manifestation of God uh, so I, I think that's that's the kind of God we have we have a God who is not a cheapskate uh, he, he doesn't have his uh, hands tightly clenched and The only way you can get anything is to be able to press one of his fingers open and get a blessing from him. No, 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 not at all. He wants to bless. He wants to give. But there is a condition, and that is not only trust and receive life, but obey me. And I'll show you what I will do for you. I've been sharing with some of the people during the course of this day my... I used to try to find a husband for my uh, daughter who was the first child that came along and I I was trying all kinds of gimmicks all over the country to find a sharp person, you know. I'd get somebody, somebody that really would be a go-getter for my wife. And my, yeah, for my wife too. But for my daughter. And I, I'd go and have a, a meeting in a place like this, you know, and I'd find a young uh, youth pastor there that, ah, that'd be good. And so I'd work it out, so I'd take her with me on a conference, and she could sing to them. And, uh, I remember still one in, in uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He wrote me the other day, and I, he found out I was going to be down there, and he said, uh, uh, wanted to get together with me. Neat guy, still not married. I thought that was the man for my daughter. No, it wasn't. Finally, one day, uh, Rebecca said, uh, uh, Dad, why don't you just lay off? Uh, and, uh, and, and I could tell she was getting a little bit bitter. And not at me, at God. Uh, and she said, you know, I, I've taken that promise. Uh, the, uh, what God says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart she said I've been delighting myself in the Lord 
and asking for a person to be my husband for 25 years and he hasn't done it and she didn't feel good about that and uh, I said well you can't stop me from praying right she said no that's okay I'd like to have you pray and uh, so I said I want you to write out a, a letter to every member of our family and I want you to tell them what you told me and then we're going to join together and we're going to pray uh, and uh, we did and later on about six months later she told us that she had met the man of her life and it was about the day we started praying as we figured it out she didn't tell us then because she didn't want to you know get us too excited too quickly and uh, but he, not not the man I would have chosen at all I mean this guy never talks in our family the you know, you got to raise your hand to get a word in edgewise when we get a conversation going around the table. And this guy never said he just sits there and he's content to watch us and listen to us. And he's a servant spirit and he is the furthest thing you can imagine from self-centeredness. And the thing we prayed for my daughter is she, because she is a controller, and uh, she's pretty uh, self-centered and she, she's happy to take without necessarily giving and uh, and so we've been praying about that and she has and she said dad I, I have found the man who is everything that I've been praying for for myself and I'm finding the more I'm around him the more I become like him he is perfect he rounds out the quartet of musicians in our family he is uh, he's a fantastic he plays half of the instruments in the orchestra he had several years of Greek and so on and so forth and, and he, he doesn't bring any competition at all to our family with regard to talking <laughs> he just does it does it servant spirit boy what a delightful addition to our family and if my daughter had married several of those guys that uh, I was setting her up for, it had been a mistake. I've got to first look at my God and what he is like and recognize he wants to give me the desires of my heart. That's my God. And if Ruth were out here and wasn't scoring those tests back there just now, and I said, am I right, honey? She'd say, you are right on target. That is tremendous. And then uh, the second thing. I need to not only go through that preparation of getting to know my God, especially with regard to the gifts of God, I also need to recognize my position in relationship to that. Not only do I want to know what God is like, but I want to recognize who I am. In other words, I'm not head. I am not an instructor. You know, these people who pray for a particular gift, you know, forgetting all about the sovereignty of God. Can, can you 
realize how stupid that is to, uh, to think of the members of the body determining their position in the body rather than God determining the position of the body. The one who has all wisdom uh, choosing what each of us needs to be. Uh, we would have an absolute mess if we were the ones doing the choosing. And I think that's why last night we went through that so quickly, but in verse 11 and verse 18 and verse 28, how many more times does God need to point out that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are calling the shots? Uh, they know what gift they have given, and they know what I need to do with respect to that. And so having recognized who, that, who God is, point one in my preparation, I must recognize who I am. I'm not an instructor, I am a receiver. And my attitude is to be one of receiving gratefully from God whatever the gift is that he has given me. And therefore, I must not tell God what to give me. He has the whole picture in mind. And he's the only one who has the whole picture in mind. But my job is to discover what he has given me. And then receiving that with a sweet spirit of humility and sober-mindedness. As you go into Romans 12. Let me put that uh, on the screen for us right now. This is the turning point of Romans, and you know that. When he uh, finishes chapter 11, he, he gives up. On a praise to God and, uh, and says uh, in verse 33 Oh the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him. And Paul closes out that 11th chapter. For of him, and through him, and to him, are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. Can you, can you imagine uh, Paul sitting in an easy chair at the home of Gaius, and Tychicus, and Timothy are sitting around, and, and uh, God is giving Paul this revelation that we know as Romans. And he's sitting there in a rocking chair or something else and he is giving this out and Tychicus is writing like everything. And, uh, and he comes to this last thing. I, I can uh, picture Paul rising up out of his seat and as he comes to the end of this and he says, For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Who and then he, he's all out of breath. And he, 
he sits back down again and he appeals. He says, I, I beg of you, brethren, by the mercies of God. What are those? The 11 chapters he just got through with. By the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable or logical service. You ever thought, why didn't he say present your spirit? didn't say that. He's talking about something material, isn't he? Present your body. What does it contain? Your gift. As well as your talent. Present your body. Not as a dead sacrifice, as a living sacrifice. And then that second statement, and do not be conformed to this world. Oh, that's so hard. When you, when you have access to the good life. Sometimes I think it's easier for people like I've been with overseas in the last couple of weeks who have nothing to not have as much trouble with the good life as I have. Uh, we were sitting down at uh, what is the place we were eating today in San Clemente? Uh, beautiful sunny day and the beach was loaded and people and you know I think man, I could I could live this. I mean, this is this is all right. I think I'll come down here and be assistant pastor to Arch. And, and uh, yeah. Ah. Don't be poured into the mold of this world system, but be transformed. Two very opposite words. Conformed is the same thing as put a mask on. Put a mask on that it really isn't you. Like at Halloween, these people come to your door and one comes as Minnie Mouse and somebody else comes as Popeye and somebody else comes as a weird witch and so forth. And these aren't, those aren't that people. They are, uh, that's a false faith. And I think uh, the paraphrase that was done that uses the do not be poured into the mold. Boy, that's so easy to do. But be transformed from the inside out. Don't put a mask on of the world system, but be renewed transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? In order that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And what is the first thing that Paul gives you for the outworking of that? 
the renewing of your mind. Spiritual gifts. Number one. And I wouldn't be surprised that when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, that will be the first thing that we answer uh, with respect to our stewardship. What did you do with what I gave you? Because he says, for I say, and the for is a causal conjunction that could be rendered, because I say, for I say, through the grace given to me, in other words, through his spiritual gifting, as a fabulous teacher of the word of God, probably nobody excelled Paul. Through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, or I could add in, don't think more lowly, but to think how? Soberly. Make a sober assessment of who you are by reason of your gifting and your talents. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of the faith. My position in the body. And so then he goes on with the first of several major sections on spiritual guilt gifting. With another four, another because in verse 4. For as we have many members in this one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts, there you are, gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, and that is, the word prophecy there is being used in the sense of all of the speaking gifts. And I won't try to explain that, take the time to do that now. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, and that is the, all the serving gifts, let us use it in our ministering. And then he gives five examples. Uh, teaches in teaching he who exhorts in exhortation so there you have two of the five speaking gifts and then he who gives do it with liberality he who leads gift of leadership with diligence he who shows mercy with cheerfulness so you have three of the seven serving gifts there two of the speaking gifts three of the serving gifts for a total of five of the sixteen gifts that he uses as examples of what he's talking here. But don't lose the point that the main thing he's driving home is how significant gifting is. And how many messages have been preached? Tens of thousands of messages have been preached. Maybe millions of messages have been preached on Romans 12, 1 and 2 without ever making any connection to verse 3 to 8. Well, why don't we start preaching the message Paul was giving? He said, get the renewing of your mind with regard to what? With regard to your gifting. Present your body with the gifts that you have 
and work like everything. Steward like everything. The person that you are by God's grace. And He will bless. And then, thirdly, recognize in the process that we're not to do our thing in isolation. We've been singing this thing. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. And it's so easy, if you're not careful, to get into an isolationist mode and to do your own thing. And God just is not in favor of that. You say, but what I'm doing is good. God's not in favor of it. Because God doesn't see us in isolation. He sees us in relation. Fellow members of the body of Christ. And uh, so I, I've got a picture up there. One of the verses we started out with, and I, I think I failed to read it, so let me read it now in Ephesians chapter 4. And here he talks not just about gifting, he talks about ministries. And, and by the way, in verse 11, these five things that are mentioned are ministries. They're people who have gifts. Uh, he gave some to be, what? People to be apostles, and some people to be prophets, and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Uh, one creative uh, uh, guy several years ago decided to put a, a uh, hyphen between pastors and teacher. Now we've got this familiar term, the pastor-teacher. No, no. Uh, they need to go a little deeper in their Greek because uh, A.T. Robertson in his four-inch advanced Greek grammar points out that that is not true for plurals. So when he's talking about pastors and teachers, you can't put a hyphen between pastors and teachers. There are five ministries. And it just occurs to me just now, uh, Pastor Arch, that that um, that'd be a good thing for the elders to think through. Uh, there, are, there are five Ministries, and I remember talking about this at a church in Edina, Minnesota, many years ago. And uh, I said, you know, one of the first people that you add to the staff ought to be a minister of evangelism. Uh, we, we talk about a gift of evangelism. I find no place in the scripture that talks about a gift of evangelism. Uh, I find an evangelist who is gifted. And uh, his ministry is evangelism. And his ministry is for what purpose? Equipping the saints. You say, wait a minute. You see, if you tried to fit the contemporary idea of an evangelist as a soul winner into that, it wouldn't make any sense at all. 
And evangelist on the staff of a church is a person who gives his attention to Uangalizamai, the good news. And it may be a healthy thing for this church, even in I I don't I don't want to, I want to be careful how much I say here, but it'd be a healthy thing to have somebody on the staff who is preeminently an evangelist who has as his um, or his or her for, or both for that matter responsibility helping everybody in the church to learn how to share their faith uh, from the youngest person to the oldest I, I, I think if I remember many years ago I, you guys that are campus crusade what, isn't there a a hand that you use that you teach evangelism at least it seems like in the back of my mind I remember seeing that I do I do know this I was in Colorado with one of our graduates and his little girl which was about who was about three years of age had just led her girlfriend who was also three years of age next door to Jesus Christ with that little hand thing we wait too long I've never had a little child say to me well I don't I don't know about that 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 philosophy doesn't really fit well for me no wonder Jesus said suffer the little children to come unto me I understand that there's some church around here someplace and I'm glad I don't know the name of it but that is the blocking kids. Hello. Why don't they read their Bible instead of their theology? Suffer the little children to come unto me. They don't bring up all kinds of biases and rationalizations that they have. They're able to do the simplest thing they need to do. Believe in Jesus. And when that happened back at that church in Edina, that thing just burgeoned. They started a, a, another church off of that, and that church started with a thousand. Now, I don't say that's going to happen in every place, but I, I'm saying, why don't we put the emphasis where God puts it? The apostles and prophets are past tense. They were responsible for laying the foundation. Where do I learn that? Ephesians chapter 2. And then you come along to these other three. Evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Who lead not in the foundation, but in the erecting of the superstructure on the foundation. At making this funny kind of a building up here. Fitly framed together. God says, listen to it again in Ephesians 4. And he gave and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. For what? For the equipping of the saints. Who are the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers? For? They're for the equipping of the saints, not the sinners. Unto what? Unto the work of the ministry. It'd be a neat thing to have a church change its letterhead and 
and instead of down the letterhead having the senior pastor, the associate pastor, the funky pastor, and all the rest of them, that they have the right right there at the top. Uh, who are the ministers of this church? And right under that, you put all the members of of uh, Coast Bible Church. They are the ministers. Now, who are the supporters of the ministers? Well, you've got a preaching pastor, teaching pastor, evangelistic pastor, etc., etc. You say, we've not done that that way. Well, that's good. Find another way of doing it better. Uh, doing it more biblically. Who are these people given for? They're given for the edifying of the saints. For what purpose? On the work of the ministry. They are the ministers. And then what's going to happen? The edifying of the body of Christ. The building up of the body of Christ until we all come to the what? The unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect or complete man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him, now get this, who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, now notice it, joined and knit together, By what every joint. What joint are you? You see, the joints have got to be where the body is. Not running around doing everything according to their own heart's desire. Now, everything we do ought to be done through God's appointed organization called church. And for you people who are members of this particular body of believers, that means Coast Bible Church. And feeling accountable to the leadership of this church and the teaching of this church. Joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Oh, that's such a, wow, what a passage. And then finally I come to the last. We move from our our preparation to our position to our participation not isolation but relation and then finally to your practice this is the action stage so I discover that I got such and such a gift now what do I do I think I read in the bulletin Sunday did I not that there were a half a dozen or so jobs that need to be filled now and that was probably just a part of them 
And I think a couple of them at least were teaching. Okay, uh, wow. Got any potential teachers here? You're needed. And if, if, uh, if my gifting is in teaching, what do I need to do? Start exercising. And what do you do? Just launch out on your own and start teaching? No! God, deliver us from that. We've got enough of that kind of stuff going on already. Uh, we need... Uh, I, I think if a person thinks they have a gift of teaching, then what does teaching require? It, it teaches... not. It, it, it demands knowledge of content. And it demands communication skills that are learned. Content is learned, communication is learned. Well, how would you do that? I'd get under a master teacher. And I'd become the gopher for that person. I'd help them to search for the content and learn from the communication skills. Until I, until I get it down enough that I can be launched out into the deep to do it myself. In another area of the church. Uh, and if these little kids could have both men and women. Uh, I, I love to go into a church and see a, a father uh, on the floor in the nursery with a, a, some kid riding his back. Uh, a kid that has no father at home. And we can supply that in part as we recognize needs. So we, we need to begin with the discovery of my gift. Now what am I going to do to develop that? Get under somebody that's a skilled, gifted teacher and learn. And then, uh, if uh, you are turned out on your own and they give you a half a dozen people and uh, the next Sunday you have five and the next one you have four and the next Sunday you have three, then give it up. Stop before you destroy the whole group. And, uh, and go back to square one again and find out, wait a minute, we, we've got to do something here. Uh, and become... A credible teacher. Uh, one of the the finest teacher we ever had on the faculty of, of Western Seminary was Dr. Grant Howard, uh, a master teacher, and uh, he had been a student of Bob Thiem at First Baptist Church of uh, Tucson. And uh, they, they gave Bob Thiem a high school class. And they didn't exactly give him a, a wonderful room for it. It was down in the basement. And you had to go past pipes and everything else to get to it. You, you had to really want to get to it to, to find it. And uh, Grant was in that class. And he said uh, he was teaching doctrine to these high school kids. And... Uh, uh, he said when he got to the end of what he was teaching in doctrine, 
he, 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 he did a continuous story that went on every week. And, and he would start this story in that first session and, and he would carry it to a, a strategic point. And, and then he'd stop. And they all wanted to come back next week. And, uh, and he said, I learned more from Bob Thiem's teaching than any professor I ever had in college and seminary. A master teacher of the Word of God. I had the joy later on of having uh, Bob Thiem's son, Bobby III, as a student at Western. And he now has taken his dad's place at Baraka Church, Houston. And uh, he is... uh, uh, sadly, Bob Thiem is, is suffering the uh, rigors of Alzheimer's. Uh, a genius of a man. Great teacher. He developed five messages a week. And in that church, when the flood of experiential teaching was coming in. He was teaching doctrine, teaching doctrine, teaching doctrine. And many of the finest students that I have had, whether at Western or at Dallas when I was teaching there, were people that got their start doctrinally under Bob Thien. And uh, he developed five presentations each week. They went to church five times a week. And if you're a businessman and you couldn't be there for a particular time, you had to get the tape of that message and listen to it before you came to the next one. There was a church committed to teaching. And uh, Baraka Church Houston became not only a very large, fine church, but they have trained guys. Chuck Swindoll got his teeth cut there. Hal Lindsey got his teeth cut there. You can go down the list. People all over the country. And I had the beautiful experience of teaching some of those people when they came on to Dallas Seminary when I was teaching there. So, whatever it is you've got, uh, get active. Start exercising. Trial and error. And put that gift into operation. Oh, this is, to me it is so exciting. I hope it is to you. Uh, Now, I want to take a few minutes here for some questions or observations. Some keen observations that you have. You people know each other. You know this church. You you know what might be done here. Last night we were meeting until 12 o'clock with a group of the younger people here. And boy, some of the ideas they came up with were were really great. I think they are things that could be put to work. And you could really see something happen that would bless your soul. How about, any questions, any observations you want to make? No, that won't do. Yes, sir. He gave us one of those good observations last night. Go ahead. Yes. Yes. 
Because in that time, the, the persons mentioned, they're not gifts mentioned. They're, they're apostles, that's a person. They're prophets, there are evangelists, there are pastors, and there are teachers. Each one of those persons has a spiritual gift or more. And so as we suggested to you, uh, let's see how you remember. Uh, uh, Joseph in Acts chapter 4 uh, had what gift? Encouragement. Exactly. He was, he was uh, a uh, exhorter, speaking wise, who was an encourager. Uh, the apostle, the prophets, each had gifting. The, now, when you get to the one you're concerned about, the evangelist, I, I suggested to Bill Bright one time, there's no question about the fact that he's an evangelist. Uh, Bill was not much of a theologian, but he was certainly an evangelist. You couldn't sit down next to him if you were unregenerate or weren't unregenerate without getting evangelized. And uh, uh, so I said, I think you have the gift of faith. Well, I didn't want to bother with that. But I said, you got the gift of faith. And I, I ran through some of that earlier this week. Uh, Dawson Trotman died <laughs> saving a girl physically, Right? Uh, this guy was given to one-on-one -on -one evangelism. Second uh, Timothy two two was his thing. Or, or Billy Graham is not a one-on-one -on -one person. He's not necessarily a big gift of faith person. He just his confidence in the book. The Bible says. The Bible says. The Bible says. Bang 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 bang. You have never heard him do a teaching in your life. I doubt that he's ever exegeted a passage publicly. He just bangs home the message. What is that? They're all evangelists in the, in the sense that we typically use it. But in the passage, what does it say? It says the evangelist is given what? For the equipping of the saints, not the saving of the sinners. See, we need to do some backup work there. And so, it, I, I think, it, frankly... If I were in your shoes, either I'd, uh, either I'd become the evangelist for the whole church, or I'd uh, become, I'd say, as the pastor uh, with the gifts that you had, or the teacher, uh, you, you, you probably, let's do a little analysis here. <laughs> let's suppose it, that you became and are the teacher, because you have brought to this place, uh, correct doctrine with regard to especially the gospel which is the most important thing to get there but how about if you had somebody that was, uh, was more of a counselor uh, to pick up the pieces after you get through teaching <laughs> and, and then you have another person who is leading in evangelism let's teach little kids how to share Jesus Christ. Uh, let's teach teenagers how to share Jesus Christ. Let's teach adults. Let's teach people who are firemen how to lead firemen to Christ. Let's teach police officers how to lead police officers to Christ. I, I never One of the assignments I, I give in, in the doctoral program, to, and there was a gal from uh, St. Joseph's Hospital in, uh, 
in, uh, in Phoenix that was in my class, and, and she was, uh, what's, what's the specialization of kidney? What is, what is that? The kidney work. But I mean, what do you call the person? Well, anyway, that's what she was. She was the head of that at St. Joseph's Hospital. And so the assignment for her was to develop a tract that she could share with her fellow doctors in that area of kidney problems. She did a beautiful job. And she, she, before that, she didn't really know, well, you know how, do I, uh, how do I share my faith with these doctors here? So she developed a tract. Uh, some of, and looking at you, uh, Renee, uh, what uh, you're, you're you're providing uh, poles that bring electricity to the. Is that what you do there? You're you're, you're the person that's going to help them to turn the lights on. Well, why don't you get busy and do some of it yourself? <laughs> you paid your dues, but you see. Could, you, could your creativity lead you to see how what you know about what you're doing could, could relate to something in Scripture? Uh, you're, you're the kind of person who makes it possible for that future homeowner there to get lights in their house. Uh, or or any, 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 any area of vocation, you can find a way to relate it to the Word of God. And to use it for your driving force there. Uh, so that's what I mean by that. Uh, let's, let's get serious about evangelism. And serious enough to put a guy on the staff. Maybe it's a volunteer person for a time being. Maybe it will become a full-time person as they lead a, a half a dozen people in outreach. Uh, well... I've got a problem of getting off on rabbit trails, so let me get to another question. Yes. I couldn't hear that. I'm sorry. Observation. Let me go back. 14.1. Open your Bibles there. Boy, I had to cut that off so quickly last night and I just couldn't count on your grace any longer. Uh, 14.1 brings you back to the same phraseology you have in 12.1. So now he's going to apply the fruit of the Spirit, love, to the gifts of the Spirit. He's going to apply chapter 13 to chapter 12, so we'll move in the right order. Now, pursue love. Dioko means a, a hot passion. Go after love. That's the command of Jesus. So let's put that uppermost, the fruit of the Spirit. And you are, I would translate that, you are desiring spirituals but especially that you may be tied into prophecy preaching and prophecy becomes a word for all of the speaking gifts so that would say to me that the the serving gifts ought to serve the speaking gifts 
The serving gifts ought to do their talent, their thing, in such a way that it releases the people who have the speaking gifts to give their time to that. Uh, so that I, I don't uh, confuse you here, look down a little further. Verse 3. But he who prophesies speaks. Okay, that's a speaking gift. And then what? Edification. There you got teaching. And exhortation. There you have comfort. You see, he's, he's weaving the, the speaking gifts all under the word prophecy, just like he does in Romans 12, when he says, I'm, I'm going I'm to get too technical here, but, but uh, he, he introduces his discussion in Romans 12 by talking about two categories, namely speaking and serving gifts. And then he gives you five examples of speaking and serving gifts. Peter does the same thing in 1 Peter 4. He doesn't even mention any examples. He just gives you uh, speaking and serving gifts. So uh, that prophecy can be used of all-encompassing, all the speaking gifts, or it can be used, as it is in 12, 8 to 10, of a specific preaching. So prophecy there becomes almost identical to preaching, whereas prophecy in chapter 14 is encompassing all of the speaking gifts. Is that of any help there? Yeah, you are desiring. This is what you're wanting. Well, here, here's what you want to do. You want to pursue love with a passion. That will keep you from making a lot of mistakes in the use of your gifting. Uh, every, every gift has its downside. Uh, I, I have, uh, I think, a gift of And I can, you wouldn't believe this, but I can come on very hard. And... Uh, and so that needs to be buttressed by uh, somebody that has a, uh, a more mercy. And these, these members of the family have got to come together and exercise preeminently above everything love. So that I want to be sure that as I'm speaking the truth, I'm speaking it in love. I don't want to speak the truth in love or truth in love. I want to speak the truth in love. So 13 should always control 12. Follow that? Okay, another question, observation. Yes? I didn't quite understand how the Spirit, the Son, and the Father all interact with you. Oh, yeah. The Spirit, with regard to the number 1211, the Spirit distributes what? To each one individually as He will. Okay. Then the Son of God is exercising in the differences with regard to ministry of the gifts that the Spirit of God has distributed. So there will be some of us who will feel, as I said, and I offended, I'm sure, at least one or two high school kids the other night when I said, you know, just dump all the high school kids into the ocean and then when they become adults, I'll, I'll, come, I'll come along. 
But, but uh, I do think there are people who really, in their ministry, just are turned on when they can get a group of high school kids or junior high kids and go for it. Whereas they wouldn't want to teach adults at all. And so that's, Jesus Christ seems to be put in that role. Well, where is the father in the role? Turning the juice on. Energema. Energy. So the father gives different energies to different people. Some will have energies for thousands of people. Some will have energies for a few. I think a person who has the gift of the word of knowledge will never have a big group. Because the very nature of the gift is very delimiting. So that's what you have. Numbers, areas of ministry, energy of ministry. And I think that's what's being expounded then in 1211, Holy Spirit, 1218, Jesus, as these gifts are interacting with each other, and 1228, the Father appoints. Another question. Yes. In, in where, excuse me? What does it mean in 13.1? Oh. Okay. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Well, in Jewish background, uh, that was a, uh, one of the primary ways of communication. God spoke to Daniel through angels, right? And so uh, angels use languages. And uh, so he said, if I spoke through the tongues of men, that is, all the tongues, what have we got? Uh, 5,000 different tongues or so forth. Oh, yeah. Though I speak. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, uh, he's doing not only hyperbole there. He's doing exaggerated hyperbole. Hyperbolic hyperbole. Yes, you got that right. Uh, so, uh, he says, take it to the nth degree that your imagination can take you. And if you could move mountains with it, it would be of no value at all eternally if it is not done in a fruit of the Spirit law. Wow. That 13th chapter has got to be continued. Some of us who get obsessed with our gift and we, we just think we're great because of that gift, we've forgotten something. See, I, I need to develop that gift to the hilt, but with humility. And, it's, it's, you know, some of us, when we get a little success, then we begin to not listen to other people. Uh, we're beyond that. Great danger. Another question. Yes. Oh, yes. I think, my, my view, and I can't prove this, I believe that God gives to every church all the gifts they need. But, if they're not using what they've got, would you, as an investor, put more there? I wouldn't. But if you've got a church that's really using the gifts that they've got to the hilt, then... The angels of heaven say, pour more in, Lord. 
They know how to steward it. But if we sit back and say, okay, uh, uh, pastor, the, the man of all gifts, do it for us. No way. God doesn't like that. Yes. Well, I took the four sign gifts, whose purpose is for the unregenerate. And what was my proof passage for that? The only passage in the Word of God that gives a purpose statement for any gift is 1 Corinthians 14, 22. Tongues, sign gift, are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers... And he has just told you what unbelievers he's talking about in the preceding verse. The nation of Israel. So, to... to and it's, it's a sign of judgment. It's not a sign of blessing. It's, judgment is going to come on to you. So, let's suppose there's a guy who is... Let me put on a different framework. That, that is just not paying any attention to the Lord. And I say to him, if you keep... If you keep going the way you're going, you're going to end up in jail. But let me back up. Let's say he's not paying any attention to the law, okay? And you keep being lawless like you are, you're going to end up in jail. He keeps on being lawless. I find out he's in jail. And I go down to the jail and I stand outside the cell and I say to him, you keep living the way you are. And you're going to end up in jail. What would they do to me? They'd take me over to another institution. We're insane people. You see. That doesn't make any sense. And that's how much sense it would be today to talk about the gift of tongues as a, as a gift for today. They are already under judgment. The nation of Israel is under judgment. And they have suffered terribly as a result of their unbelief starting with the terrible uh, destruction in 70 A.D. that Christ prophesied. And on to this day today. So, uh, it is a sign to the unregenerate that leads to judgment. And that's what it was in Isaiah 28 with the Assyrians. That's what it was in, in the New Testament with Rome. And that's what it still is. Israel is under judgment today. Uh, another question. Yes. Peter was, was preaching and, and the people came to the Lord and whoa, they spoke in tongues and he went and said, hey, these people spoke in tongues too. It must have been real. Good question. You probably didn't hear this. So what about with Peter then? All right. They, if you take... Always Jews were present. And so Acts 2... Acts 8 and Acts 19 covers the whole three branches. And uh, in each case, God was saying something to the Jews, and particularly in Peter's situation, to Peter. But it was a blessing. You know, he was like, whoa, this, this, is, this is of God because this happened. So at least it wasn't a negative judgment, or, or at least in my mind. Well, yeah, but he's talking about... When, when you look at the purposes of God and what is happening, the, the Jews had crossed the line. This covenant people of God. 
when Jesus looked over Jerusalem, he wept. Why? Because they had done right? No. Because they didn't pay any attention. And now they were going to pay an awful price. Which came in 70 AD after, uh, after Peter. And, in, and ongoing. And what they're going through today. Israel says they have a right to the land today. They do not have a right to the land. Who owns the land? God does. And to those to whom he lends it for their use. And God promised that there would not always be a king. Because there would be a time when they would be taken away. And Israel would be without a king. And uh, so, but that gets into the whole prophetic area that I think is very strategic today. And, and, but I think we need to be careful about drawing conclusions with regard to timing from what we see happening. Reminds me of the pastor of, uh, uh, of uh, First Baptist Church in New York, I, I am Haldeman, I think it was, who many years ago, back in the early uh, uh, centuries of the 19th, the 20th century, and we're in the 21st, aren't we? In the 20th century. And he, would, he did this message on Jesus is coming soon. He said, and he gave all the signs of that, that the, we now have steamships that can steam across the ocean in wonderful times. You know, and he was, surely the coming of Christ must be soon. I wonder if they, if they can see what's going on today. I wonder what Haldeman thinks now of how we go across. So I be, be careful about pushing the prophetic hand of God. But I do believe that, and I just while I'm on this now, I just will say it, I, I think we've got a real problem before us in evangelicalism because most of evangelicalism uh, practices what I call, what is called replacement theology. And the, the church has replaced Israel. And they are called the new Israel. So when you think about reform theology, all of it, all of it, is replacement theology. When you think about the Catholic Church, all of it is replacement theology. There's a very small group of people in churches that believe what uh, Tim LaHaye, for example, would be preaching in, in the pre-trib, pre-mill, etc. And probably that's where your church is. Is that where you are, or have you gone heretical on that? <laughs> Thank you. I have one last question. In all of your years of teaching on the gifts, what is your experience to the distribution of the gifts? What is the most common gift, and what is the least common mm. He asked, what is the most common gift? Far and away, the gift of helps. Because, for, as I said, when I used to go up here and preach for Harold Fickett at, uh, at First Baptist Van Nuys, and, and he always had some huge vision. And boy, when he, 